It's the lowdown on Sports 1440. Oh, what a great song. Everybody goes, what's the best Christmas song? And if anybody says anything else aside from Fairy Tale of New York, you know that they're just not for you. They're like, you know, oh, I like this. And you go, yeah, okay. And just, you know, move along. Fairy Tale of New York is it. It's got everything in it. It's got heartbreak, weird familiness, bad words, and the cops. I, I, I don't know why anybody would argue that. And we did miss and lose uh, Shane McCowan on the weekend. Best known, I guess, for Fairy Tale of New York. But, man, so many great songs. And songs that, that rip your heart out. You know, and the, the, the musical style of, of the Pogues was just perfect. That sound, like Dirty Old Town. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a romantic song, and yet you're... You're scarred at the end of it, which is sort of real. That's how life is. It's he was he was brilliant. He really was. I loved his music. I loved his voice. Loved everything about that man, and especially I love Fairy Tale of New York. Really good. By the way, coming up at five after, so like pretty soon, we're going to have a guest on from. ESPN 1530 Cincinnati, Austin Elmore. And it's brought, for me, memories of WKRP. Um, and there was, there's so many great episodes. You know, everybody remembers the, the one about the, the turkey, right? Which is the favorite of everybody. But do you remember Dr. Johnny and the, the phone police? Or the time that Mr. Carlson put cocaine on his feet because he thought it was uh, foot talcum? I mean, there were some funny, funny episodes. Or the time that Mr. Carlson was in the booth and he listened to Pink Floyd's dogs. Oh, man. There's some funny stuff there. Anyway, we we uh, we digress. Right now we're joined by Austin Elmore from ESPN 1530 Cincinnati. Every interview you do from, like, out of city, do people mention WKRP or is it just me that's thought that way? Oh, it's every every single person all the time, especially over the last month because of the, the Thanksgiving turkey drop. Uh, I mean, we really lean into it. We have T-shirts. We do the whole nine yards. So it's not just you. I, I love it. I, I always love the Sparky Anderson appearances, too, because he looked so young back then, right? Like, I'm like, holy cow. I didn't yeah. think he ever looked that young. Yeah, there's some incredible cameos in there, and the, the TV certainly did Sparky some favors. I know that much. Yeah, it sure did. Uh, also, let me ask you about the, the – because the Bengals, that whole division is kind of wonky. It's weird where everybody's good but, you know, not so good, although there is a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, separation happening right now. The division looks like it's out of reach with Joe Burrow, but the playoffs are are, – are, are Bengals fans maybe feeling it's still there? No, unfortunately not. I mean, really, from the moment that Burrow went down on Thursday night football, it felt like the season was over. And it's not just because Burrow isn't uh, isn't available. It's because this team has really just not been good at all levels. The special teams has not been good. The defense is the worst Bengals defense since 2019, and that 2019 team was a historically bad defense. So ever since Burrow went down, it kind of feels like it's over. I mean, there's conversations about mock drafts and positioning and who should be rooting for who over the course of the weekend. I mean, they know that it's still alive and there's a chance, and especially after this weekend, you might be able to make it into the AFC with nine wins. 
but it really feels like in the fan base and in the city that the season is over and the playoffs are, are impossible to reach, even though there is a, a slight chance. It's like if they win, I mean, they'd be six and six. The Browns and Steelers are seven and five, but it's those damn Ravens again. And I like I don't I don't know how they do it, because to me, they were sort of middling until they weren't. And they it's not Aussie this time. What the hell goes on with the Ravens? Yeah. Yeah, well, the the biggest difference is so far this year they've been healthy and they've had a schedule that benefits them. I mean, I think they're playing one game over the course of like 25 days at this point in the season, which helps them to get even healthier. Now, obviously, Mark Andrews is now out for the season, but over the last few years, it's been they've been so banged up that they haven't had a fully healthy team. And obviously, the Lamar situation with his contract last year. And if you think back to last year in the wild card round, Bengals played them in the opening round, and in Baltimore outplayed the Bengals that entire game. But if not for the the rumble in the jungle with Sam Hubbard taking it 100 yards to the house, the Bengals may have lost that game. But they're doing it with typical AFC North football. They run it, they play defense, and Lamar has had a really, really good season under Todd Munkin with some weapons around him. They do just about everything right. They, they there was a time in the NFL where where if a, a, a quarterback went down on a real contender, there'd be a Jim Plunkett or a Vinny Testaverde hanging around, maybe golfing in Arizona, uh, the, maybe Cam Newton now. But it's not really the same. Every all the quarterbacks sort of have jobs. This is it, right? Like it's Jake Browning's team. Yeah, I think it is. And, and if you go back to the to training camp in the preseason. When Burrow goes down with the calf strain, you know we do live reports from training camp every day, and every day it was the same situation. At that point, it was Trevor Simeon battling with Jake Browning, and both of them stunk. And it was like the Bengals really need to evaluate the backup quarterback position, reevaluate, maybe go try to sign somebody, because neither one of those guys you felt comfortable with if they came into a game. So fast forward through the first month of the season, Burrow plays, doesn't play well, doesn't play well. He's at like you know, 50% of his usual self, and that conversation keeps being had. Number one, should Burrow even play? Number two, do the Bengals feel confident, or is there zero confidence whatsoever in the guys behind him that forces Burrow to play? And they just never addressed it. I mean, eventually Trevor Simeon gets cut. Now he's with the Jets. He's playing terrible there. A.J. McCarron gets re-signed. And it's just, it's not, nothing made sense when it comes to the Bengals addressing that position, especially when, Prior to the season, this is a team that national pundits and and people across the world are picking to win the Super Bowl. But there was no real backup policy or no insurance policy for the backup quarterback position, and it's come back to bite them. So then the check down is, the next question is, does this become Jake Browning learning to play in the NFL for the rest of the season? I think that's part of it, you know, and he's bounced around and he's going to get a fair shot. The Bengals fans remember A.J. McCarron, who is now his backup from 2015, where he played well down the stretch, got the Bengals into the playoffs, almost won a playoff game for them. Uh, so that, you know, is kind of a bit of a hot seat, but there's been no indication. A.J.'s been here for two months now. There's been no indication that he's going to challenge Jake for that spot, and there's been no indication they're going to sign anybody. So, yeah, it seems like, hey, we're going to give you a chance to learn how to play quarterback. You've got all these weapons. You've got a, an offensive line that we've invested in. So you should be able to succeed, and, and that's what it feels like they're going to try to do. 
And and oftentimes when a new quarterback comes in, there is a little bit of a uh, an upswing in some guys who maybe uh, we weren't paying attention to. Maybe they get an opportunity and they play a little a little better or a little more often. Uh, so let's talk about T. Higgins. What what should be expected from him? Um, you know, he's a guy who. I mean, we know what he is. We know how old he is. Is is this an opportunity for him, or is this just you know maybe a little bit of a one one strong game? Yeah, I think this is an opportunity for T because this is a big season for him. You know, it's it's unsure, it's unclear really what the Bengals are going to do if they're going to let him walk or if they're going to franchise tag him. And, and the Bengals feel strongly that he is a top ten wide receiver in the NFL and. You know, we've seen him at his best over the last couple of years, and I would agree with that. I mean, I think T is a number one wide receiver on most teams in the NFL. He has not played well this season. He's been battling the hamstring injury. Looks like he's going to go tonight, but he didn't play very well when he was healthy. Now, part of that is because Burrow was banged up and the offense has just been struggling, but he still has a lot to play for, not just financially, but uh, overall, like you need to prove that you are that guy, and he hasn't been able to do that so far this season. So I, I think when you have a guy like Browning, you have Jamar Chase who's going to get all the attention on one side. That really frees up T. Higgins to be a playmaker, and I think that's what they didn't have last week against um, against Pittsburgh. That's what they didn't have the night that Burrow went down against Baltimore. Higgins returning can really help the offense just because of how good he is and the threat that he presents to a defense. So, yeah, I think this is an opportunity for T, just like it is for Jake Browning over the last six weeks, to say, hey, I can play in this league. I am still a threat, and, and I'm valuable. So, yeah, I, I expect a lot from T Higgins down the stretch. Austin Elmar, our guest, ESPN 1530 Cincinnati. So um, I am a fan of a lot of losing teams over many years. So I know that losing teams do losing things because they're losing teams. So yes. when I see Cincinnati in this situation, I go, okay, they're, they're, they're disappointed. So how deep will this go? Because losing teams do losing things. Is Zach, Zach Taylor is a good coach. So he's safe, right? Yeah, I think Zach is safe. And, you know, I think that the thing that's been so highly and hotly debated in Cincinnati has been, should Zach Taylor remain the offensive play caller? Because that's where their biggest deficiency it feels like is now. The argument against that is, for the last two years, they have found a way to finish in the top eight in the NFL in total offense. And Joe Burrow is a big part of that. And, you know, great elite quarterbacks hide flaws. They do that on every team in the National Football League. And with Zach, this this organization is so different and in such a better spot now than it was in 2019 when he originally took over that – I think you could even already have the conversation that Zach is the greatest coach in the history of the franchise. And what he does behind the scenes, what he has done with the culture, what he has done with building the organization as a whole, that can't be ignored. And that feels very distant from the losing Bengals that so many people in your audience and and you're referring to. They feel like an entirely different franchise from years ago. And so Zach deserves a lot of credit for that. The, The question is, can he is he willing to give up the play calling duties because it feels like that's where they are struggling the most and he has remained bullish on that so maybe that part of his job is in jeopardy but him being the head coach i think that's a foregone conclusion for quite some time the forest greg fan club is marching towards your office right now i want 
I'm sure they are. I want I just want to forewarn you. It's happening, sir. Just be aware. <laughs> you still have time. I'm ready for them. <laughs> I'm ready for them. Austin Elmore, thank you. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate you having me on. All right. There you go. Austin Elmore. Fortunately for all involved in that conversation, I knew I knew a name I could pick that would make him laugh. They've had good. Sam Weiss was a very good coach. Um, I thought Marvin Lewis did a great job. But Zach Taylor is, I, I would say he's right. Certainly, I mean, Paul Brown a thousand years ago. But um, no, I think he's right. I think he's got it right. Which is like they're a pretty storied franchise for them to have the current coach be the best coach ever. He's got to. Do you agree? Like, how good is he? Like, I just feel he's a guy who always gets the most out of his players. I think you can probably say that for a lot of coaches, but I think he mixes that will with mixes that well with the new style of coaching where things are a little bit flashier. You used to have offenses that were just designed plays, and the players had to adapt to that. The new thought of coaching is that you adapt to your players' strengths and you draw plays specifically for them. And I think he does that will that does that well and mixes that with getting the most out of his players. Well, that's good. A hundred years into the NFL, they finally figure out maybe we should design something for the player. Yeah, it was huge. I, why didn't they think of that earlier? Not bad. Okay, on the way, we're going to remember Miles Goodwin and Jason Greger will join us. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. Miles Goodwin wrote that song, Fast Train. Maybe 71 was a hit, and he was, a with April Wine, a major star in Canada in the rock and roll business for decades, and we lost him on the weekend. So we uh, think about Miles Goodwin and April Wine today. We are now joined by our friend Jason Greger. And let's start here, Jason. Um, my Eagles, I mean, they showed up. Uh, they were playing in their uniforms, but the 49ers are the best team in the NFC. I don't think anybody can argue against it. Well, they definitely were yesterday. There's no question about that. But you know what? Uh, the 49ers are good. They're deep. Uh, they, they would argue that if Brock Purdy was healthy last year, maybe things would be different. So I, I think they have a little bit more to prove in that game than the Eagles did, and uh, they did it. And so now it makes it, uh, you know, there's no guarantee for that bye week anymore for the Eagles. And the uh, the stretch drive here with, with the Cowboys and the 49ers and the Eagles is going to be a great race. And so that uh, Cowboys-Eagles game is pretty huge. So, uh, yeah, give the, uh, give the 49ers credit, man. They were really good in every facet of that game. And, you know what? They've been good all year long. There's there's not many weaknesses there. I think the Eagles have been pretty good too uh, all season long. And sometimes maybe getting uh, getting spanked a little bit like that uh, might not be the worst thing for them in the course of the season. And I the, might say it's an easy way for the coach to be like, "All right, boys, let's get refocused." In the AFC, there are two nine and three teams: Dolphins and Ravens. Chiefs are eight and four now. But the the Chiefs are still they. You got to knock them off, right? Like they're still the favorites until somebody beats them. Yeah, and don't overlook the Jaguars. They win tonight. They're nine and three, and I think they got the tiebreaker on. Uh, I think they're second. Uh, see, maybe even first. So, I look at the, you know what the, it's great in both leagues. There's no there's no clear cut. Like I, I do like the 49ers a lot, but man, uh, the Cowboys' offense when it rolls is formidable. Uh, the Eagles themselves, Jalen Hurts has proven he knows how to win time and time again. They got some pretty good. Um, uh, skill players and the thing that was interesting about that Eagles game was they lost in the trenches where normally those are the best assets that's why I'm yeah. not that concerned yet I think they can be better there they have been and they lost in the trenches where they normally don't um, you know KC hey when you don't have any receivers out 
who can consistently make plays. And I know you got the best tight end, but it doesn't matter. You still need some receivers, and that's that's their glaring weakness. You know, we can talk all we want. That was a terrible missed call for sure, but then they still would have had to make a two-pointer, and at best, it's overtime. So I, I look at the Chiefs are definitely a, a team that's beatable, especially when right now they might not have home field advantage, which can be a huge thing come playoff time. So, yeah, it's wide open, but uh, don't sleep on the Jags, man. Uh, Trevor Lawrence tonight. Uh, without Joe Burrow, uh, I would expect the Jaguars to win that game tonight, and that puts them at 9-3. and three. And, and Trevor Lawrence is really emerging. He's, you know, It's taken a few years, as it should, for quarterbacks to kind of find their way. But, you know, you look at, at that team, and I'm not saying the Jags are a Super Bowl favorite by any stretch, but I wouldn't be surprised if they won a round or two. All right, Jason, let's go to the orders. And here's my question. Jack Campbell, you know, reporting on Saturday night from Elliot Friedman was if he played well, maybe he's recalled soon. You've talked at length about uh, Campbell getting called up here when they get back to action, maybe towards the end of the month. So uh, with Campbell being the guy, or at least apparently the guy, does does a one game, you know, where he lets in a couple of soft goals in the American League, does that change things or they're definitely going to give Campbell a shot? Well, I think I don't think the reason I've always said I didn't think Jack Campbell was going to come up here this week uh, was because well, why Skinner's going to play? Skinner's going to play Wednesday, and Skinner's going to play Friday, right? So you don't know, like no offense to Jack Campbell, he's better off playing another game this coming Friday in the American League, and so that's why I think timing wise that makes the most sense, right? And then you can bring him up, you can recall him on Saturday if you want, and you know he travels here. Does he play Sunday? Eh, I don't know. But then he gets in and he can play Chicago. Like, let's be real, Al. If we're going to put Jack Campbell in, you, you want to put players in positions to succeed. And by succeeding is gaining confidence at any position. And so if I'm the Edmonton Orders, well, the most obvious game to play Jack Campbell is Chicago. They're terrible, right? Now, sure, someone would say, well, what if they lose? Well, you can't think about what if you lose. You think about if our team plays well – and uh, we should be able to limit Chicago to a lot of scoring chances, right? If Edmonton's playing good defense, they should be able to limit the chances. So if you limit the chances against, then in theory, it should be an easier game for Jack Campbell to come in, get his, uh, his skates back underneath him a little bit at the NHL level, and then you go from there. You're, you're going to have to play Stuart Skinner. Uh, like, I looked at it out. Like, I know Skinner's played a lot, but he's only, he's only made 16 starts. And right now there is 18 goalies in the league who have made 15 or more starts, right? Some have made up to 19 or 20. So Skinner's, I I did the math. So let's say he wants to start 55 games. Well, that means he starts 39 of the remaining 60 games. Let's say he starts 58. Well, now he's starting 42, and that means you need a backup to to play 18 games, right? Whether it's Campbell, whether it's Pickard, I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's somebody else. But that's kind of what you're going to look at for the orders, right? But Stuart Skinner's numbers have gone up. I think he's playing better. But the team in front of him is playing better, right? Like and remember, Jack Campbell had a better save percentage than Stuart Skinner when he got sent down with the minors. So Campbell, I saw the first goal that he allowed, obviously not great. Um, the fourth goal, meh, not great. But the other two he had no chance on, and he played pretty well. So, you know, is it a concern 100%? But there, there's no – like, if you can – if anybody out there can tell me the obvious goalie that's going to fix the order's problems, please let me know because I don't see one. Well, and the, 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 the obvious one, like, the ones that you would trade for and give up a lot for aren't available. Like, well, exactly. You and I can talk all day about, well, look at Boston. They've got Swayman, just deal Olmark, but – 
why would they? They don't have to do that. And, you know, they've got a great tandem. And if, if they don't have a great weakness and they seem to overcome their center problem, you can, you can want that player all day. But if Boston doesn't make him available and the owners, uh, the only person they could trade for him is Nuge. Yeah, they're getting there. And he's not, I don't think he's wait. Well, maybe he'd wave to go to Boston, but I'm not sure he'd wave his no movement clause at this point. Right. So I, I don't think there's a, a realistic option that's a guaranteed better. Now, you know what? Maybe you could acquire a goalie who's been a number three elsewhere. I've always seen this around the league that all of a sudden plays well in Edmonton. Is it possible? 100%. I just don't, I can't, I don't think anybody can say with confidence that they know for sure. Who's the goalie to acquire that's available, right? Like I saw people saying Columbus. I'm like, Columbus, what are you you talking about? They're not trading Elvis versus Leakins for Jack Campbell. Like, get get serious, Oilers Nation fans online. Like, give your head a shake. There's no chance they're making that trade if you're Columbus, okay? Like, I know the GM's on thin ice, but he's not an idiot. So he's not making that trade, right? So which other goalies are there out there that you think are realistic options for Edmonton. And, and I say, when I say realistic, Al, that means you're just making a trade to acquire a goalie for a fourth, third round, sixth round pick, whatever it is, because a trade doesn't involve Jack Campbell. You have to give up way too much to have Jack Campbell going the other way. Absolutely, absolutely correct. This time off that the orders have, uh, it, it does dovetail pretty well, I think, for a new coaching staff. they got a little bit of time. The penalty kill's been really good. Uh, maybe the power play is something they'll want to work on, get healthier. Any Anything else you can see them working on here in the time they have off between the next this last game and the next game? Well, I think the major things they wanted to work on, Al, we've already seen. The number one thing they wanted to work on was be a more poised team. Right? Like, like Edmonton, and I've said this for years, Al, there's no one better at beating themselves than yours. And that was a lot of self-inflicted wounds. It wasn't systemic. So um, I know that Chris Nabla, like he, he, he's kept a lot of the things that Jay Woodcroft had in place. Why? Because they worked. And there's always, like, you either play zone defense or you play man-to-man. There's no other defense to play here. Like, let's, right. people talk about systems like there's so many, and it's like, oh, hey, we're going to go to West Edmonton tomorrow, and I can go to this clothing store or this one. Or, no, that's not how it works. There's only so many systems. But I think Paul Coffey and Chris Knobloch have really hammered in on a few things. Number one, poised with the puck. Have you seen, Al, can you recall – a glaring error from the blue liners since Paul Coffey took over. No, it's it's really been good. It's very tight, and I think there's better support from the forwards. But they've they've done things quicker, and they've had calmer feet. There's no doubt. And and really, it's Paul Coffey talking. To, and I, I had a long chat with Darnell Nurse, and I'll play that interview later uh, today or tomorrow on the show about how. You know, Paul Coffey just really, he's made the players believe, like, he just keeps showing them positive plays that they make in video. This is what you're capable of. And and it's funny, like, you think about it, it's the most basic thing, but it, it shows me sometimes, I think people want to overvalue, not over, but they want to overcomplicate coaching. Like, you don't get to the NHL unless you have talent. That's just a fact. Then it's a matter of how can I help bring that talent to the surface more often than not. That's really what coaching is going to be about. And, and even at the grassroots level, it's about – and now you want to build skills for some players, sure. But, you know, some I coach Al U11. I can tell which of my kids are harder workers than others or more consistent, right? Which kids can stick handle on their backhand better than others, right? So you work on it. But I'm going to put the kid on his backhand on his, on his offside more than the kid who can never catch a puck on his backhand. Why would I do that? Like, I'd be an idiot because he's never going to do it until, like, maybe he's 11, right? So um, I look at what Coffee's done to them. And then the other thing was they really had an emphasis to improve the penalty kill. And they've improved that. And Stuart Skinner talked at length about the penalty kill being a lot better and how even, you know, Connor Brown says, hey, man, like, 
I think we're finally getting the PK. And so that's made a huge difference now. Like, it's a significant difference for this team. Like, there's a major area where they've, they've lowered their goals against, just on their penalty kill. So have they done – I think there's small little tweaks, but I think that was it. And, and the other one was uh, the coach mentioned how there's lots of guys who are a little nicked up, and these five days off have actually really helped them. I wonder about that because we're talking about the defense. For the year, the only defenseman with a 50% or greater goal share at 5-on-5 five five is Darnell Nurse. But since the new coaching staff – Nurse is at 70%, Ekholm, Bouchard, Broberger at 50%, DeHarnay is at 46 44 though for Kulak, and 40 for CeCe. Now, some of that is just, you know, like one game where things went awry a little bit. But the, the, the defense has been playing better. But if that third pairing, you know, I, I don't like I like DeHarnay because of the penalty killing. And he has a little bit of wobbly minute there here or there. But is Kulak DeHarnay a, a, a pairing that you trust enough to keep? Or do you think there might be a tweak there? I, I don't mind them at all. And it's funny how you mentioned Nurse and CeCe are partners, Al. But one's 70 percent and one's 40 percent in goals for share. Right. So yeah. I think it shows you that, you know, shifts on when you change in something, the guy might have nothing to do with it. And then all of a sudden, like, whether A, they're coming on the ice for a goal four and they get a few bonus ones that have no part in the play, or conversely, they've come on the ice and a guy's changing, right? It's a two-on-one or something. Who knows what happens that leads to it. So um, I, I don't mind Kulak. And I, I think Darren game has really improved here the last few weeks. Like, I think Darnell Nurse plays on the best hockey of his life, to be honest. But I look at Vincent Deharnay, Allen, and he's really moved the puck with more efficiency. Uh, lately, uh, and so I liked it. I um, I'd have to like to me when I see goals for. I always like to look at just the goals against because the defensemen, for the most part, especially the third pair guys, they're not going to impact goals for a lot, right? So who they play, if they're only playing with third and fourth line guys who never score, they're probably it's going to be harder to have a, a high goal uh, four percentage because you're not really even if you're playing well defensively. Eventually, you know what, you're going to have a bad break that goes in or what have you. But if, if your guys are never producing, well, that's hard to do. Although the fourth line has actually produced quite a bit. So I, I'd like to look at it more. I don't, I don't mind DeHarnay and, and, uh, and Kulak um, because I like the, the mixture of what they have. they got speed in Kulak. they got size in DeHarnay. they got physicality. Kulak moves the puck well enough. And DeHarnay, like DeHarnay is actually a better skater than people think, but he has to move his feet because he's so big. He's like the big engine that's got to get rolling, right? The minute he stops moving his feet, he's in trouble. So, um, like his first two steps are never going to be super quick, So, but he's got to move his feet, then he's better. And so I, I don't mind that, that pairing at all. I think the orders have reduced their goals against. Obviously, they want to continue to reduce it. But if you look at seven of their last ten games, Al, They've given up very little, right? I think they've given up in those seven games. I think they've given up, or what is it, like five goals, right? Yeah. It's really that they had the, the Carolina, which was awful, Florida and Tampa Bay, where, you know, and those are better teams. So um, I thought the, the Vegas and Winnipeg games for me were crucial because those are two good teams. And I thought, you know, like DeHarnay, that goal against the third goal, right? Mm-hmm. That's just unlucky. That him and him and Ernie were actually in the right position, and they both went to make a play and deflected to kind of cancel each other out. So I don't, uh, I, I don't mind that third pairing, to be honest. The the number six team across the league so far this year is the Los Angeles Kings. They're nine and zero on the road, and yep. they look like. Uh, you know, the Colorado game, an example, the Colorado wasn't 100%, I get it, but they look like a machine. They look efficient, as efficient in their own way as Sutter had them playing on their way to their first Stanley Cup. They're a scary bunch. 
They're a solid team, right? Uh, hey, it helps having uh, Quinton Byfield come up, and, you know, it's taken a few years. He probably got rushed a little bit, but, man, he's starting to come into his own at 21 years of age, which is nice for them. Um, you know, I like their defense for sure. I, I look at L.A., and you you look at them. Are they really any different than last year other than having Dubois, right? So So that's good, but – I wonder, like, their top-end speed. Like, Edmonton and L.A., I don't see – I guess unless L.A. wins the division, which is very possible, you know. Um, but then Colorado would have to beat them before, you know, because I don't see Edmonton finishing eighth. I'd be surprised, right? So I think they're probably seventh is where they likely be because it, they got a lot of ground to make up on those three teams in the Pacific, and it might be too much. So, you know, if you can avoid L.A. in the first round, Al, I think ideally you would do it. There's no question. But, man, we said the same thing about Boston last year and what happened come playoff time. Right, so I uh, L A right now is definitely playing great. I think they got the second best points percentage, but we'll see if they're playing the same come playoff time, and if if their defense and age will be somewhat of a factor, goaltending age, excuse me, somewhat of a factor in playoffs. What's coming up on the show, Jason? We will. Uh, we're going to dig into uh, some numbers, Alan, the uh, league wide around it because the orders obviously have a few days off. Um, uh, Woodley more into uh, to goaltending. Uh, I gave him a little assignment to see. Is there any like? Is there any realistic ones, right? And at what point do you think, Al? Do they like? I know Olivier Rodriguez, an extremely small sample size, and that's the question. Like, it's four games. Do they have to start playing him more? Like, I, like when if Campbell comes back up here, and then like they had to play Campbell because they were trying to find his game again. But do they really have to play Calvin Pickard? to find his game, or do they have to start going 50-50 in the minors with Roderick? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they've they, they got to play him because he was he was top 10 last year in save percentage, and he doesn't qualify, but if he did, he'd have the number one save percentage at 936 in the AHL right now. Yeah, so maybe there's a point where could he – because the other thing, Al, you have to look at is what if you just start playing Mather and say, hey, we know what Calvin Pickard is. We know what Jack Campbell is. Let's find out what Olivier Rodriguez is. Maybe he's the Jordan Bennington and gets recalled in January. And all of a sudden, is a guy who really helps your team. Like, at this point, with goaltenders out, I can't rule out anything. Because it's, it's so unpredictable. But you're right. You, you've, you've shown pretty decent numbers when he gets the opportunity. He doesn't play a lot, but when he does play, he plays well. So I'm not a, I'm not a genius, Al, but geez. If a guy's playing well, maybe play him more. Just a thought. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Have a good one, and we'll listen to you, too. Thanks, Al. All right, there you go. Jason Greger. On the way, Mama MMA with our friend Declan. I've got a free, you know, square. Anybody want to go for lunch? I can do that next. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. Driven by Wolf GMC Buick. New name, but same great team. Find them on the corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. Time for Mama MMA. And I... The highlight isn't even the theme song. The highlight is the passion that Declan brings about guys just just ripping each other's heads off in a ring. Just going at it. Yeah. Just getting after it. Yeah. Did you happen to catch the uh, UFC fight night this weekend, UFC Austin? I, I did not, but if I was 25, I would have. Yeah, if you were 25 sitting in a bar with some friends, you might have got it. No, it was a good... Listen, as far as fight night cards go, this one was stacked. This one was stacked top to bottom. The main event was two guys, Benil Dariush, who's the number four ranked contender in the world coming in, and Armand Sarukian, the number eight ranked contender. Armand Sarukian is a, young, is a young guy out of Georgia. He fought Islam Makashev, who's the incumbent champion in his debut fight, and he was a late notice 
replacement, but it was it was a competitive fight. It was a tough fight for Islam. They have a similar style. Islam was just a little more seasoned. And Armin since then has built his way into the into the lightweight top ten. He got a chance to fight a top five guy now, and he beat him in a minute and four seconds. Wow. He knocked him out with a perfect. Listen, he threw a knee. It looked like it, it looked like it cracked him, but it didn't. He followed it up with a right hook, cracked him with the right hook, was able to follow up. And the fight against a guy who was, uh, yeah, listen, he's a top five guy in the world. He fought in a number one contender eliminator about his last time out, lost that one as well. And now you're looking at a guy in Benil Dariush who's a little long in the tooth. He's been doing it a long time. He's He has six losses in his career and five of them are by knockouts. So some people are saying, listen, you had a good run. You're maybe not what you were anymore. But Armin is for real. This guy is going to be a top five uh, contender when the rankings come out tomorrow, I believe it's going to be. He is for real. And the, the co-main event was great. Jalen Turner, another guy who was a top 15 lightweight. He was taking on a guy in Bobby Green. Took the fight on 10 days notice. He took a picture. When he, when he took... When he, when he took the fight, the fight was going to be at 155 pounds. He weighed 180. So he cut the weight, did what he had to do, went in there, and he also starched Bobby Green in the first round. It took about two and a half minutes, and it was it was a late stoppage. Jalen Turner was feeding Bobby Green. It didn't need to go down like that. The ref admitted he made a mistake. He should have ended it sooner. Uh, but Jalen Turner did what he had to do, got it done. And it was just a great card through and through. I don't want to recap everything because it, it gets a little bit tedious. But Davison Figueredo, he was the former flyweight champion. He was moving up in the division to fight this guy named Rob Fawn, who was the number eight contender. He went out there, looked great, won a unanimous decision over him it was a great fight night card it was a great atmosphere it was full of ton of it was a it was full of a ton of fun performances looks like we have a new lightweight contender i think that's the headline leaving saturday night so among these fighters yes that you've mentioned yes who's the most fun to watch out of all of the fighters well for me personally i like I like to see someone who's an expert in their craft. And I think Armin Sarukian is a guy who is an expert in his craft. He comes from an incredible wrestling background. He has phenomenal technique. He traps the legs very well. And he's developed incredibly well with his hands as well. So for me, when I look at the technical aspects of everything and what he does... I like Armin Sarukian. If you're someone who just likes a casual stand-and-bang type of fight, Bobby Green and Jalen Turner would have been your guys. These guys are going to stand there and box. They're going to stand there and kickbox. They both have very good hands, very fast hands. Those are two guys that, that always put on a show for the casual fan. I'll say that. And then the aside from the most fun to watch, I, I was a, um, my favorite fighter when I was young before I became enchanted with Muhammad Ali and, and what he did in and out of the ring was Joe Frazier. Yes. I loved him because of his power. He was, I don't know, you know, the, the torque on his punches, but they were like, he could break things. Of course. And so who's the, who's the, who's the fighter that, you know, maybe Frazier, Tyson, right. different era, who like is so formidable that you can kind of see other fighters get intimidated with him when he's going and they're in the ring. Yes, and also I just want to touch on Joe Fraser really quickly. The crazy thing about him is he wasn't even thought of as one of the more powerful guys it's of true. that era. It's because true. there was Foreman, there was Ernie Schaefer's who could really crack. Marciano was a little bit before that, but he had an incredible knockout ratio as well. The guy, I think the easy answer is Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou was the former heavyweight champion, just went over to boxing to fight Tyson Fury, ended up losing that one, but won the night. We talked about that. Francis Ngannou was a guy who I think struck fear into a lot of fighters' hearts because he didn't have to be technically sound. He didn't have to be 
on his game for the whole night, for the whole 15 minutes, the whole 25 minutes. He was the guy like a Tyson or a Foreman or a Shavers or a Fraser. He just needed to be on his game for one second. And that one second was that one punch landing. Didn't matter which hand it came from, but that's how powerful he was. He's not in the UFC anymore. I think another guy who does that very well is Alex Poetan Pereira. He's now the light heavyweight champion. He was a two-division kickboxing champion in glory. Incredible power. His name is nickname is Poetan. It means hands of stone. This guy has incredible hands. He is the touch of death. And he is just, aside from his skill set, he is a guy you look at and you say, this isn't a guy I want to see. This is a guy, if he's walking on my side of the street, I'm crossing over. He is an incredibly intimidating guy. He doesn't smile. He just stands there stone-faced, knowing what he can do with his hands. His technical acumen is brilliant, and his power is right there as well. Well done. Now, is it you? You only took like six minutes. I have another ten for you if you wish. No, I'm happy to be here. We got some text flying in finally, so maybe I can respond to. Uh, okay, to well a let's couple let's go. Let's go do that. Give me give me what you're. Well, we got one text that comes in here from Montana to Rice Covington going to wipe Edwards in a couple weeks. Domination. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Colby Covington is currently the number three welterweight contender. He's going to be fighting the champion Leon Edwards for the world welterweight title on December sixteenth. Leon Edwards got his title off a guy named Kamaru Usman. Kamaru he. Beat Kamaru Usman twice, actually, because he beat him once by beautiful head kick to win the title. And then back home in England, he beat him by unanimous decision. Kamaru Usman was a guy who beat Colby Covington twice. And Colby Covington, who I think is incredibly skilled, and he has some of the best cardio in the UFC. Colby Covington, for the most part, has made his name by being a guy who fought Kamaru Usman hard twice. I don't know what he's going to be able to do besides outpace Leon Edwards. I think he probably has a better wrestling base, but we've seen that Leon Edwards can defend takedowns. We've seen he can take down a guy like Kamaru Usman he did in the first fight. He's very good everywhere the fight goes. Now, the wrestling is going to belong to Colby Covington, I think, if you look at it in a vacuum. But MMA wrestling is different from a straight wrestling match. You have to worry about uppercuts. You have to worry about knees. You have to worry about is this going to turn into a jiu-jitsu match on the ground? And I think when you mix everything together Together, plus the skill gap, the skill gap separation on the feet. I think it's Leon Edwards' fight to lose. I think Colby Covington certainly has a path. I think with his pace, with his cardio, and his wrestling ability, I think he can be a nightmare for anyone in the welterweight division. But I think when you look at everything in, totali- in totality, I think Leon Edwards is is the guy who it's his fight to lose. And I'm not just saying that because he's a champion. I'm saying that because I think he has a better skill set in total. Any other questions? Yeah, well, I mean, we got one here from from Sev the Commish. Declan, how about back-to-back armbar smash knockouts? Never seen that before. Yes, that is incredible. I think I had seen one armbar smash knockout or one smash knockout in my life. Actually, two. Maybe more, but two that come to mind. One was Jordan Levitt, Matt Wyman, and the other one was in a title fight, Rose Namajunas uh, and Jessica Andrade. Basically, in back-to-back fights, guys were slammed to the ground to be knocked out. Uh, Cody Brundridge did it, and then Jakar Close was the one who did it in the fight before. It's very rare. It's exactly what it sounds like. You pick someone up, and you slam them down, and that's what knocks them out. It's pretty scary to watch. It's pretty violent. It's not necessarily... Is it a head hit? Generally, yes. It's not necessarily what you think of when you think of the sanctity of the sport, but it is a part of it is a part of the sport. It can happen, and we saw it happen twice, which is incredible. I was looking at a stat. I think if you look down all the years that it happened, like if you looked at you know twenty twenty two and twenty 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 one and twenty twenty etc., there were years that it happened once, zero, maybe twice. This this event we saw it happen twice back to back. Yeah, I, I I look back on my time when I watched boxing, and I am surprised at how much violence I liked. Yeah, no, it's enthralling. Is is what it is. And it's, there's a, it's the risk too, right? Yes. Like you're like, and and 
you know, you, you can see if you watch a fight, and I, you know, it doesn't matter what style it is, MMA or boxing, you know when the 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 referee has to get in there, and you might even be yelling it. And I don't like that. I don't like when when a, a fighter takes a hit, a shot when maybe he, you know, he's he's already. He's already wobbly. I agree. I, I've always said I don't watch mixed martial arts or boxing for the brutality. Yeah. I watch it because I appreciate the sport, and I do think there is a gap. Yeah. And I think when a sport gets too brutal, when there's too much of a sustained beating, that's when I start to drift away from it as well. Yeah, I, I, but I will say, and this is why I never, ever you know, talk to people in their 20s about their enjoyment of, of basically mano a mano, boxing, fighting, whatever it is. If And I remember watching boxing matches where two fighters were in the ring, especially HBO at the Lampley. They'd have like five, six fights on a Friday night that you could watch. And, you know, when when two boxers are there and they're in the moment and they're both aware and they're they're on, and then one really good punch, and maybe it had been set up three or four punches before or maybe a round before, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, and I think there is an art to boxing. Oh, Absolutely. They and, call it the sweet science for a reason. Right, exactly. And and as violent as it is, and as much as I wish I were able to say that that didn't appeal to me, it does. So does that make me a bad person? Definitely? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. All right. I like this. This has been pretty good so far. One well, of our texters, Spaghetti, is telling you to watch some Derek Lewis knockouts. Derek Lewis has the most knockouts in UFC history. He's a heavyweight. He's a little long in the tooth now. He's you know He's always kind of been a guy who's lost to the better fighters now he's losing to some fighters he used to maybe even potentially be able to beat but all-time heavyweight lead all-time heavyweight knockout leader so if you yeah. if you're into that give him a youtube yeah i i got so many declan as we spend more time together i'm realizing more and more of your phrases are about you know you said long in the tooth when i came in today you said go home old man there seems to be a real theme about how you speak to people of a certain age yeah i'm like planting the seed a little a bit little i'm hoping bit. it gets embedded up there and you, you yeah. take it and you remember it yeah. i i uh so that's why we're doing mma somebody asked me on the weekend they said you know why are you why are you weekly having a, an mma portion of your show the reason is because it is wildly popular and I found somebody in Declan who knows this stuff backwards. And I, I do think that it's our job, uh, on the show to, to give a why, as wide as possible, a voice to all of these different sports, especially ones that are wildly popular, like MMA. And that's what Declan does. So that's why it's on. And, um, I've thought of, I thought of, giving Declan a content warning, like a little thing he could wear on his hat as he walked around so that people would know he might talk about it. But I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Uh, do we have time for this really quickly? Thoughts on the unified card December 15th? Yeah, so that's a card that's going to be taking place at the River Cree Resort and Casino. Unified is a Canadian MMA promotion. It's going to be headlined by a guy named Daryl Horcher. He's fighting Shane Campbell for the Unified MMA Super Lightweight Championship. Uh, Daryl Horcher is a guy who I'll always really, really appreciate because Habib Nurmagomedov was one of my favorite fighters. He fought Habib on short notice, took a hell of a beating, but I always really respected him for ta- for stepping in, taking that beating. Uh, and I'm, I, I, I just, I always root for him, so I'm going to be rooting for him in in, in that one against Shane Campbell. Uh, uh, Jay Craig is a heavyweight who's one and zero. 
I don't know too much about light heavyweight. Excuse me, who's who's two and zero, but he had a good performance his last time out. It's always a good time. I don't know. I wouldn't assume you've ever been to many. I've only been to one unified MMA show at the River Creek Resort and Casino, but they put on a great show. They make it a lot of fun. You have a real fight atmosphere, and it's just yeah, it's a great show. And if you're looking to check out some local MMA, obviously it's a Canadian organization, so they, they you know they pool their ta- they get their talent pool from Canada and from Edmonton fighters alike, and uh, it's always a great time. And if you want to talk about MMA, there's a chance to join me and Declan for a live in-studio on-air segment, plus receive a copy of my book, On the Clock. You can bid on the chance to guest host and other silent auction items in support of youth hockey on Saturday at the Bend Lounge, 147th Street and 40th Avenue, 6 p.m. to close. Limited number of tickets available, $10 each. You can say hi to Declan. You can talk all night about MMA. You can talk to me about Gordy Howe and the 60s, if you wish, as well. It's going to be a fun time. I enjoyed today. I thought we had a lot of really good content, most of it yours, but it was good. Yeah, I, I thought we did okay. You know, I was happy to, you know, I was passionate. Like you said, I was very passionate, right? I had yeah. things that I needed to say, and I'm glad you let me do that. You could have easily stepped on my throat and said, hey, kid, I'll take it from here. But you let me spread no, my wings, I, and I, I appreciate know, that. I know the lay of the land. I know what's happening. I know how this is going to end. I got it. I understand where my life is headed. Uh, all right. Thanks so much for tuning in. On the way, it's Jason Greger, and it's time now for a sports update.